Hey everyone, it is Amber Love and it is Vodka Clock Podcast and of course coming to you from AmberUnmasked.com. Today my returning guest is Ryan Lindsay, you know him officially as Ryan K. Lindsay. Don't forget we are labeled as an explicit website and podcast, so if you're easily offended or under 18, this is probably not the place for you. Now there might be some minor spoilers in today's discussion, but uh, probably not too much. I don't think we're, I don't think we're going to get into anything that would ever wreck the story for anybody. So uh, Ryan, welcome to the show. Cheers. Hey, 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 nice. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, it's really nice to be here, and it's nice to be reminded that we are explicit, so we can you know really, can do it. really have a good fucking chat. Yeah, exactly. Well, last time was mostly a lot of talk about My Little Ponies, so I don't <laughs> think we got anywhere, anywhere explicit there. Oh, that can get explicit. You just need to mm-hmm. uh, know the secret cheat codes to put into Google. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a different kind of show. <laughs> I did see I did see that there is a Bronies documentary available on Netflix. I've heard about this. Yeah, I've seen a few people saying that it's it's interesting. I haven't seen it yet. I but, uh, I don't know. I've 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 really gone on record as saying I love the Bronies. I think they're awesome. Yeah. They, their enthusiasm and, uh, you know, I, and I'm really hoping that they will passionately flock to Headspace and, and pick it up uh, from Comixology this week, surely. That's awesome. Yeah, I hope so, too. I mean, they could not be more different. No. Um, but, you know, when you've established a fan base, regardless of the, your, your range yeah. of, of genre, hopefully the fans follow you there. That's, uh, that's the plan, because if I can bring... Uh, uh, pony sales numbers to Headspace. I will be a happy man. That would be that would be pretty awesome. Be you know, insane. then you'd be as famous as that Katie Cook. Oh well, maybe never as famous as her. She's uh, she's big, she's big league, and for yeah. due reasons, she's pretty amazing too. She really is. She's she's del- delightful. She's just so fun to um, to get to know and to follow on social media with her ridiculous stories of being a parent. And I like you know, that. I like that she has the parent chat too. It makes me feel uh, not so sort of isolated in having crazy kid adventures. That's for sure. Yeah. Is the is was the child able to provide you any material? Because Headspace is does focus on a lot of sort of imaginary things going on that we're going to get into. And I didn't, I didn't know if like, cause sometimes I feel like I've lost my imagination. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's there. It's just waiting for you to use it. I guarantee. Sometimes you just need to, you need to work to unlock it. And I, I found I did that uh, uh, with headspace because um, I mean, it, it, it comes out this weekend. So it's about, it's about Carpenter Cove, uh, this small town right. where the, the inhabitants, it's just sort of there. It's like almost like a purgatory. They don't really know what's going on, but they just sort of get on with it. And it's this really weird sort of ethereal place. And then um, it, it comes out that it's actually the town is a construct inside the mind of a killer and that the government has established it there. And so what that allowed me to do was anything that I wanted with Carpenter Cove. I can literally do anything with it because it's an imaginary landscape. And so I constantly had to remind myself, go crazy, get Gonzo, just do whatever you want in there. And that's why in the first issue we've got uh, Eric Zawadzki, our uh, artist on the majority of pages. He uh, he just really cut loose with uh, inventing some monsters and just throwing, you know, weird stuff into the background, which I like. Yeah, he really did, um, because I had noticed on your, your Twitter avatar, I couldn't figure out what it was. And then once I took a look at the issue, I was like, it's the weird cyborg dog robot bartender. Yes, Gil. <laughs> I love Gil. He is, uh, 
he's a favorite of mine from this issue, poor little guy, and he's he's having some problems. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, was one of those ones where I was like, oh, do you reckon we could do this? And then Eric, uh, he drew it up, and I was like, oh man, I'm so in love. It's, it's just so great. So yeah, so um, yeah, I, I found I really had to just sit down and go, all right, how can I make this scene still serve the story, but just be a little, just be a little wacky? Like, I, what's the point of having a, a basically a dream landscape and not using it? So yeah, we messed stuff up, which is pretty cool. See, I was wondering if Carpenter Cove was fictitious and you just, you know went wild in it you know like some some writers will take a real town no, I, and you know and could just go ballistic like stephen king i think he uses real cities right yeah yeah and um you know a lot of writers do they'll they'll pick like real cities that they're familiar with but then you know throw godzilla in it yeah um no a cup so, of is 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 pure imagination and uh, uh I, I named it i named it after john carpenter so um Ah, there we go. Uh, shout out to a guy who certainly inspired the imagination of my childhood. That's for sure. Well, I had no idea what was going on. Um, it was literally page by page. I thought it was something else. Like I thought yeah. it was a story, you know, about. Um, oh gosh, I want to say his name was Gavin. Now I can't remember. Um, but I, no, it was the other the other guy, oh, the blonde. So I was like, I was thinking it was a story about this guy. And then I was like, oh, but now we're starting to focus on the sheriff. Yeah. We're focusing on the sheriff a lot. And, you know, and the whole time I didn't realize that this was, you know, where the headspace title was coming from until I got to like this reveal. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm like, and there's tentacles coming out of the floor (laughs) and, you know, monster banging on the door and everything. It's, uh, you know, uh, so it was, uh, it was one of those things like from a, from a writing standpoint, I was going, how in the hell did he do that? Like, how did you, how did you like string me along until I figured out, you know, until they, they, you know, make it known that this is that there's a serial killer tie here, and um, you know what's what's happening is not real world. Yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely wanted to make it layered. I I wanted it to be a bit deep, but I'm also, and this may be to my detriment in the end. We'll only really find out by doing it. I like to just assume that the audience will keep up, or will want to keep up, or will look back um, and to, to triple check things. And this is a story where sort of everything means something, and you're really going to have to pay attention to little things, to big things, to think you things you think you understand, and then it turns out to be something else later. Um, and you sort of got to keep a few threads in your head going along. Um, I sort of wanted it to be that. So yeah, you'll notice that we have. Uh, Shane, the sheriff in Carpenter Cove, which is inside Max's head. And we have that sequence all illustrated by Eric Zawadzki. And then we cut to Max, the actual person who uh, houses Carpenter Cove. And he's in the real world. And his sequence is illustrated by Chris Peterson with Marissa Louise on uh, colors. And they do an amazing job of sort of a different art style, but it all flows. And so we've got these. Yeah, it's really different. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love I was because I was immediately thinking I'm like wow this looks like the the Umbrella Academy art. Oh I, I yeah I've been saying and I, I don't know artists sometimes don't like to be compared to others and maybe Chris hates it every time I do it but I got I, he's got a really Bar Moon sort of flow to his work I love it and I I love both art styles and I love them differently which is really like I'm spoiled on this book I must admit 100. percent 
And um, but I think that's I think that's important though. I mean, it's mainly from a reader and fan standpoint. You know, hopefully it's not offending any of the artists because I did that once. I, compa- I I said that somebody's art was like oming. Yeah. And the writer got really upset when I said that because he didn't like happen to like oming, and I'm like, but it really is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, but it's something that we do to sell the book. It's like when you're standing at your booth and you're trying to pitch to somebody, you you know, and you want to say, well, it's like, you know, if the X-Men were cowboys, yeah. you know, it, you sure. take somebody else's, yeah, you take somebody else's property and you make it relatable so that they know what you're talking about. And, you know, something like, you know, an artist who's out there like Gabriel Ba or Mike Mignola or whatever, you know, you take that familiar name and say, if you like that guy, then your eyes might be really drawn to this. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, I uh, yeah, I, I use it as shorthand, but, um, I mean, I, I think Chris really brings his own game to it, and um, having Marissa do the colors over his work, just it really pops for me. But you'll notice between those two sequences, I don't do any sort of centering captions. I don't say, oh, now in real life, and then... Yeah, no, not at all. I just, I, yeah. I want the readers to sort of keep up. I don't know, I was reading... Um, I think it was the latest issue of Sex Criminals uh, this past week. And I just noticed they don't caption every little bit. Oh, this is now five years ago. This is now. They just sort of expect you to keep up. And I like doing that. And I, I like a, an author and an artist and, and a work that appreciates my intellect. And so I'm sort of doing that with um, with Headspace. But hopefully, I, hopefully people aren't getting lost to the point where they're like, well, I can't come back to this. That was just... I got no idea. Like there should be a, it should all be there. Um, right. Well, that was the thing that that impressed me. You know, when I when it came to how things were revealing themselves, because uh, because it worked so well for me. Whereas like today, I like I don't know. I mean, I suppose as a critic, I can say if I like something or didn't like something. But, like I I checked out a, a couple issues of Pretty Deadly. Yeah. And the art is spectacular. Yeah. But. The writing, I cannot follow this book. I have, I am like so, and I'm not the only one. Like I started looking through, um, like the the letters. Before, they actually have like a, you know, not just a letters column, but they. I mean, this is pretty awesome of them to do this. Like yeah. I don't know if it was Kelly Sue's idea or what, but um, she put tweets. Yeah, yeah. In the back, in the back of the book, but she included the the critical ones too, the bad yeah, ones. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, people saying that I'm too confused by this, and you know, and, you know, so it was a nice mixed bag where they're like, you know, you know, they're sort of like embracing the criticism, but that's that's a book where it's not falling together for me. And yet, when I read Headspace, I was like, he has this working, and my brain can follow this. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's uh, that, that's definitely the plan, especially with the first issue. I think they're so important. Um, and that's why, I mean, we went with the, the 22 pages, um, for the first issue and it will, it'll drop down to 12 pages an issue after that. Um, and all of them for 99 cents each, but I really wanted to make sure we, we packed the big bang in this first one and, and build the characters and build the, the, the places, the locations, especially because Carpenter Cove is so integral to the story. Um, and then hopefully leave you wanting more by the end. I mean, it's, um, every, every writer admits that's one of the hardest things is building that first issue that that works and really make sure that people come back so i th- i think it will i don't know i i'm writing the sort of book that i would want to find on the stands um so it probably sounds dumb as hell but i'm really happy with this book it's great that no that's great <laughs> it's 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 great i mean and uh, you know we it's like there's so much to talk about here because we need to talk about like the 
the art and the visuals and stuff, but I want to talk about the, the story too. And like I said, we'll try to not really spoil anything. Yeah. Um, the, the actual story contains, because it's taking place in this imaginary world where you're imagining, you know, you, you've just let everything go wild. Yeah. The sheriff is dealing, this is Shane, right? Yes. Um, he, there's futuristic technology and there's monsters, um, and he's sort of like he's being really challenged yes. as the main character. He's like, I've never had to do this before, and you know, it's it was interesting to get to that part. Like, like wow, the you're the sheriff of this town, and you've never, you know, like shouldn't you be experienced? Yeah, or something. And and he was being really challenged there. He's just sort of yeah. He's he's gone through this existence floating through it. I mean, he talks at the start about the, no one knows how they got there and. You think they would question and challenge that more, but they kind of haven't. They're just there, and it's just this really – it's like a sort of a fog way of living where they're like, I understand everything that I can see, but as soon as my vision hits the fog that is all around me, I'm just like, oh, well, I guess, you know, too hard basket. Let's just put it away. And, yeah, I mean, it's a really sad little town, and it's obviously a sad way of living. So when we open, we find Shane in a really weird place. And exactly. then it becomes a weirder place as uh, as sort of like things start co- basically collapsing in on Carpenter Cove. I mean, I've got um, uh, Gil, the dog-headed bartender, sort of talking about how Carpenter Cove was this little sort of, it was, he calls it an island in Max's mind, and, and now Max's mind is collapsing in on it and, and crushing it. And that's due to um, an occurrence that, that um, Max does in the real world that sort of triggers everything off so yeah it's uh it's sort of like uh it's it's putting shane in a weird spot and then just making it worse and uh yeah i'm really keen on seeing how he he deals with with that and then i mean ultimately his goal is to get out uh but we layer a few other goals uh throughout his journey over the coming issues as well so that's a big thing that i want to do i want to challenge um our lead and make things hard Right, and um, because it's funny, because he seems like those very first couple pages, he's incredibly in control of what's going on, because um, he's basically like uh, declaring a punishment on one of the citizens of Carpenter Cove, and it's it comes across as lawless in a way, but more like more like too much law, like Judge Dredd kind of law. Yeah, yeah, and that will, that, that sequence at the start is very important and, um, and, and will come to bear later and sort of will be explained. And, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you sort of noticed that there. He, is, he's, he very much knows what he has to do in that situation, and there's very much a reason for that explained later on um, that sort of shows how certain things have been structured in Carpenter Cove. We, yeah, we, and, and doing this was really difficult, trying to make sure... Um, that everything mattered and that everything made sense and that we sort of earned everything. I mean, collaborating with Eric, because uh, we we started putting this together over a year ago now. Um, and I, I would constantly get emails from Eric going, so why does Shane do this? Why, why does he want to do this? Why wouldn't he do this? And I would have to sort of explain it. And either I would have the answer in my head and I'd just go, oh, it's because of this. And Eric's like, yep, yeah, cool. Or I'd be like, oh, you know, shit, I hadn't thought of that. Um, and then we'd work on it, we'd brainstorm. He's, he's got a really good head for story, Eric. Yeah. He was really good to collaborate with at the start. And 
we spent ages just beating this story into shape. And I don't know how many drafts we went through for the whole synopsis, but um, we really, really like, we, we were kicking every corner to make sure that there were no sort of, you know, leaks for once we set sail. And um, yeah, I feel like we've got a really airtight um, story moving forward because some things, some more things will be explained next issue, and um, some big things will be explained in issue six. And like, yeah, everything, everything sort of ties together so that uh, the people have the the motivation for a reason, and that things in Carpenter Cove happen for a reason. And um, yeah, we've really tried to stay true to all of that and make sure that you know, I, I I'm really keen on and writers, especially earning the things that happen in their stories. It's no okay. good to sort of just going. Uh, he gets out of Carpenter Cove because he finds a secret door behind uh, the cupboard. Boom, let's get him out. Like that's There needs to be more to it. It needs to have purpose. And we, we try to really lay out everything together. Um, it takes a lot of pre-work, but it, it hopefully pays off in the end. Yeah, the um, the way that you were describing that the world feels like it's, it's starting to collapse in, um, that's really felt because you, you see that things are, are physically – changing in the world sort of like inception you know like the um yeah. the movie where like the pixels start you know like falling apart all the bits start go crazy um no i i wanted to know if there was um you know if it was something you thought of or if you didn't even give any thought to it but that we have shane who is the lead character here is uh you know a wonderful black man and he's the sheriff and there's so much talk about how there's no diversity in comics um there's big big uproar because image expo was only like a month or so ago and um there was just like so much diversity lacking at the expo um even though there you know there it was just the people who i guess who happened to be there so i like to me when i saw shane at first like it didn't even dawn on me and then i you know, I was like halfway through the book and I thought, I was like, oh, you know, I'm like, uh, I'm like, I wonder if anybody's even going to notice that there's like a, you know, a black lead character in this comic. But you, you know, because you're the first person who's raised it with me, which I, and I was waiting for it because, you know, I, I initially was like, I'm a white guy. I'm like, uh, am I going to write, you know, a, a black guy? Well, am I going to, am I, am I going to do it properly? And then, you know what? I found it really easy. I just wrote him as a guy. Um, and I, I had this discussion on Twitter recently where I was like, if you write, uh, you know, a, a Mexican person or a black person, how much should their race inform their character? And some people were like, oh, it absolutely should inform everything because they've lived this different life. And I was like, well, maybe some of them have, maybe some of them haven't. And my specific character, you have to make your choice. Did he grow up in, in the South under vicious racism or did he grow up, uh, you know, overseas on, a, on an army base? Like, there's so many things that inform people that in the end I felt confident writing him. Um, and I, I sort of, I lost that fear because I do, I always, I always worry that I'm not going to write a woman well perhaps, or that I'm not going to write a, a person of a different background. But in the end I thought, what are the core principles of Shane as a character? And I looked at it. He's a, he's a, a father. He's a, you know, a sheriff. I'm not a sheriff, but I feel like I can write that. That should be fine. Uh, he's, he's got a, a, a wife or he had a wife. Um, and I looked at all those things and said, yeah, I can, I can really sort of touch base with all of those things and write it. Um, as for whether it was a conscious decision, um, it was to the degree that once, once I was sort of initially breaking the story, I realized 
they didn't need it was one of those ones and I I think it was Chris Sabila I was talking about this with on Twitter where he said it and I completely agree you ask yourself does the character need to be white no and if not why not write something else purely because it, it needs to happen um and I'm not doing it as some sort of calculated ploy i just did it more as to be honest i'm a white australian guy there's none of us on the comic page um so i'm not going to write myself in the story uh i will be writing somebody else no matter what so you know why not put a, a black lead in there just because uh i think i think the diversity needs to happen and you need to make it start somewhere um and i don't know i think some people sort of talk themselves out of it and go oh, i'm not going to do it just because but I don't know. I felt like Shane could have been anybody. So um, once once I got the the idea very early of him being, uh, you know, African American, I just saw him that way for the rest of the story, and it really it didn't it didn't sort of jump out at me anymore. And yeah, nobody else has um, has raised it at all. So whether they're even consciously thinking about it or noticing it, um, and you said you know you sort of it, it's not a big thing to think about. You just sort of read through and get on with the story. But um, yeah, I'm hoping some people do appreciate that we've, we've decided to do something a little bit different. Yeah, because um, I like how you said, you know, would it, you know, would it change the character at all? Because I read this really cool article about um, somebody compiled a list of female roles in Hollywood yeah. that had originally been written for men. Oh, and yeah, yeah. they, uh, you know, and these are like really iconic roles. Like I think Ripley from Alien was on the list. Yep. Um, Salt, yep. which is uh, played by Angelina Jolie, was originally supposed to be a man. And I mean, those are very physically demanding action roles. So I could see those being male characters. Uh, but then when you think about that and then this, <laughs> I don't know who came up with this concept, but it was really hilarious. If you can replace a female character with a sexy lamp, yeah, <laughs> then you have failed yeah. in developing a character. That's, uh, <laughs> you that's, know, like, that's what Kelly Sue says. She's like, if you can do that, yeah. fuck you. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, true. Um, she also, somebody had asked her, oh, I mean, she's been asked many times on the panel, how do you write women? And she was like, uh, write them like a person. And that's person. Yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of people say write him like a person, which was why I really, really wanted to like her book, Pretty Deadly. Yeah, and I just have am having a really hard time because I was like, oh my god, it's like this crazy, you know, supernatural western, and it's got all these women in it, and it's got this really, you know, awesome, powerful little girl who's got, you know, there's something really intriguing about the little girl character, and I'm just, you know, and I was really confused by it, but I I do love. You know, she gives, uh, you know, some amazing advice and some people have, you know, they've quoted her so much. Yeah, it's just part of the general industry sort of advice knowledge now, some of the things that she said. And yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's, it's one of those things where it's just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if people are afraid to do it or whether they're just like, oh, no, I'll just write what I know and I'll write a white lead or, or, or what the case is. And I won't write a woman, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly just trying to branch out there because it's fun to explore different points of view um and it's 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 interesting to challenge yourself as a writer and sort of put that out there and um i mean if you look at like a like ripley from the alien franchise that role could totally be a guy or a girl because there's no i don't feel gender specific part to it 
and there's certainly no reason why it couldn't be a woman. And as you can see, a woman played that role and Sigourney Weaver kicked ass in it. Like, you can have an action lead that kicks ass in this female. Like, that's believable because women can kick ass. And I don't know why we get stuck in looking at it and being like, oh, no, we can't do that. Oh, no, it would, you know, the, this character wouldn't be able to do that role because he'd be so crippled, crippled by racism that he wouldn't be able to get on with the job and she'd be so so female that she wouldn't be able to lift heavy things. And it's garbage. Like, it's 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 totally unnecessary. And um, I don't know. I, I just sort of think, like, I've seen a lot, um, a lot of people with uh, young Avengers uh, talking about how there's, uh, uh, what's her name, Miss uh, Miss America. Is that her name? Miss America. And she's the, um, I think she's uh, Mexican uh, in descent. The amount of people that have sort of written to Kieran Gillen and been like, it's great to read a superhero that that looks like me. And then Miles Morales, uh, the, the ultimate Spider-Man. Right. People are like, this is great. I can, there's a character that looks like me. And I go to the comic shop and there's no characters that look like me. And I just think, That'd suck. Like, well, it's it's something new coming out because, like you said, sometimes you can do it as you know as a creator because it's not going to do anything and affect the story. Yeah. So so why not add that? Or you can do it specifically to affect the story, like the new um, Ms. Marvel, yeah. where I believe it's G. Willow Wilson is um, going to introduce a Muslim, uh, a young girl. Yeah. In the role, in the role of Ms. Marvel, and she's, you know, she's got this really adorable outfit. Like, I really like yeah. it because it's very, it's all covered up and modest and everything, but it still looks like a girl's outfit. Yeah. Like, she's not, it's like, it's, and I think it's, it, you know, it will hopefully surprise people. It certainly surprised them when the announcement came out because people were wondering why. Like, you know, yeah. what was this, what was this going to do? What does, does a superhero being a Muslim do? do well i don't know let's Let's find find out out. yeah like why not give it a crack and some people say oh you're just doing it to do it so that i sort of respond well good that's how that's how change happens consciously you can't just hope that unconsciously things will sort of you know change you have to get in there and just say oh no i'm going to do this specifically um like i've looked at roles and gone does this have to be male can i change that um you'll, you'll notice in headspace he he sort of um as as the uh, the event occurs where Max uh, ends up affecting Carpenter Cove and, and Shane gets all of his real-world memories back uh, very suddenly, and we have a page where he's sort of remembering things from the real world, um, you'll notice that his wife is not black, um, so they're an interracial couple. And right. I did that very consciously again because why not? It's like It actually happened uh, the week where oh, there was an American... Oh, there was an American food. I want to say it was Doritos, but I know it wasn't Doritos. Oh, was it Cheerios? Yes. The Cheerios yes. commercial? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Cheerios commercial. Yeah. That all went down, and I just I just sent Eric an email, and I was like, it's not crass or cashing in or anything. If we just make his wife a white lady, can we do that? And he was like, let's do it. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like, purely because why not? Because it doesn't affect the story. Um, it's It's just one of those things where I thought – Here's an opportunity to do what I feel is like very little work on our part. And it can hopefully make a big difference to somebody where they go, oh, there you go. Our relationship. I hope that, I mean, but I, I hope that happens with, you know, with gay characters too. Yeah. You know, because I was, I was trying to work on a, on a pitch and I was, you know, it was one of those things where it was, um, you know, a love triangle was presenting itself. And I'm like, why don't I just make this three dudes? Yeah. 
you know, like what's, you know, like hopefully that, that uh, unfortunately I think, I think because there's such taboo against certain things, some people will be turned off, Yeah. you know, and it's like, it depends on at what point somebody is like bothered by something. Like, are they going to be bothered by the fact that you have, you know, an interracial couple kissing on, you know, on the page? Hopefully not. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, but it's, if you can, like you're saying, if, if you've thought of it, mm. then why not just, why not just create it? Because yeah. I mean, like, you know, when I think of things like there's, there's a raccoon that shoots a machine gun. I mean, you exactly. know, like, like if we can have that, like, why, why is that like perfectly access- accessible yeah. to every audience and nobody gives it any thought? Yeah. And, you know, and you can have the Green Lantern Corps and all the Lantern people, you know, alien races. There's like, yeah. you know, millions of them. It's like, and you don't give that any thought at all. But yeah. it's like, oh, my God, they had like, I think, a, a like Middle Eastern looking Green Lantern or something. And they gave him a very sort of like, you know, Islamic sounding name. I don't know if the guy was Muslim or not. Yeah. But it was like people freaked the hell out yeah. because it was like, oh, but he's like, you know, it's... <laughs> like oh but it's okay that you have one that's purple yeah yeah <laughs> yeah they're, they're, we're down with that yeah it's just like you know if you're gonna if you're gonna have that kind of argument say hey why does the, why does sector you know 2814 need so many lanterns you know don't you know <laughs> exactly yeah it's one of those things where i don't know it was it was something i considered for a little while and i was like you know people are always saying get diversity in the comics but then the other people are just like oh you know why are you doing that? That's we don't like it, or it's just a ploy. You're just doing it to cash in, or you know why couldn't it be a white guy? And in the end, I sort of weighed it up in my head, and it probably took about three seconds. Where I'm like, if anyone's going to complain that my lead character is black, then don't read my book. Don't read any of my books, please. Um, like it shouldn't be an issue. And I don't know. As soon as as soon as it came into my head, that's just how I saw the character. And I was just like, yeah. And then Eric drew him, and I was like, oh my god, like I see. This designed really well oh yeah i like that he doesn't look he doesn't look like samuel L. jackson he doesn't look like anybody he's just he's just a character the way any other character is created the way our dog-headed bartender is created they're all just these characters and once yeah. i saw him that way i was just like yep yeah, that's done and 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 i saw it forevermore and i mean i'm 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 breaking a story on another pitch moving forward where the lead character is gay and not through any it wasn't even a specific thing it was just that's just how he came out and I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why it doesn't happen more because it's it's a thing that pops up. I mean, I think I saw on on your Facebook recently you were talking about which um, uh, female tropes you wanted yeah. to get rid of. What was the one you wanted to get rid of? To me, it was the the metal armor bikini, uh, yes. which is completely impractical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fun. Like, sometimes it's just, like, fun for a fantasy story or whatever, like Dejah Thoris, you know, whatever. Yeah. She's she's not wearing armor to be protective. But when you look at somebody like Red Sonja or Princess Leia, yeah, so. I mean, Princess Leia was a slave. To me, if anybody's going to earn the right to wear a metal bikini, it's Princess Leia. Yeah, because she was, she was a slave. Yeah. She was forced to wear it. It was not in her wardrobe. Yeah. And, you know, she killed the motherfucker who put her in it. Yeah. You know, exactly, I, it's, but, but Red Sonja doing it is... is yeah, people have of. studied armor. People, I mean, at this point in time, people have studied armor and have shown what women would be wearing. They would not actually have the boob cups because that would actually crush inward 
Yeah. If they if it was to get hit and would actually cause way more damage. So there's you know especially like because Renaissance fairs are really big out here. I don't I don't know what you guys have, uh, you know, but Renaissance fairs are really big. People study armor. Yeah. Um, so that was the thing that I wanted to get rid of. I was like, I just, you know, I'm ready for that to be done. And one of the things about in Headspace I noticed was it's like, wow, these characters are not like roided up and they're not, you know, yeah. backbreaking, you know, like the, you know, the Shane's wife wasn't some ridiculous bombshell. Yeah, you know, yeah. She was just a pretty lady. Yeah. Eric's great with that. And the Max design, he's not some, yeah, buff. He's not some huge dude. He just kind of looks like a, a pretty average dude, which I, I really like. And, um, I mean, in the next issue, we introduce an old guy. So I hope people don't hate old guys. Like, it's, it's, we're trying to, yeah, create real world people. And I can remember working on, um, uh, Ghost Town with Daniel J. Logan. And I was like, ah, oh, we need this character to be introduced. And he was like, um, cool. Can we just make sure that we make her look normal? Because the last thing any book needs is another pretty person. And I was like, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. I'm like, that is an oh. awesome idea. I was like, you're the best, Daniel. You're the best. Like, it's, it's got to happen. You've got to sort of, I don't know, fiction is escapism and fiction is sometimes, I mean, depending on what you're looking at is representing the best in people and quite often it's representing the worst, but it very rarely just seems to represent what's around us. Um, like if I look at, uh, like an, on my street and I look at the different ethnicities that are living in this one street and the different ages and the ages between couples, and I don't know, I don't think I would call any guy on my street uh, buff, um, myself included, unfortunately. But um, it's, it's they're not the people that we come across. Like, you, you come across different sizes and shapes, and uh, I, I don't know, I think it's important to reflect that in fiction. And sometimes it is really well, and then sometimes, I don't know, as, as you say, like, you look at the cast of, a certain book and you're just like, that's just a lot of really pretty white people. And unless you're writing the OC and you're playing into that whole, yep, that's where the pretty white people live. um, It just starts to feel a bit inauthentic. Well, it's even noticeable just, you know, through the generations. I mean, like obviously superheroes are meant to be examples of perfection and stuff. But like when I look at James Bond, who is kind of a superhero, you know, he's like, he's got the Batman gadgets. Yeah. But when you go back and you look at old James Bond movies, those freaking actors look nothing like an actor of today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like they would have to be in a gym for eight hours a day. Yeah. You know, but they were still found very sexy and very appealing and to have all the charisma in the world. Yeah. 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 And there was nothing wrong. You know, it's like. Not beautiful. Yeah. It's just, it, it is. It's nice and refreshing when you can see artists sort of take that and, and just say, you know, okay, yeah, even if we, we don't need a character to, you know, we don't need a character to be obese. He's the sheriff. Yeah. But we want him to look like a guy who can be a sheriff. Yeah, yeah, it was right. it was awesome. Yeah, that's um, I think that's a that's a really big thing that Eric and then Chris bring to the game where they're just like, we're just interested in drawing like like real stuff and good stuff and not just I don't know. I can remember in the nineties, uh, it was probably mid late nineties. One of the big things I bought out of comics from I was a big Marvel reader, and I think it was during the Onslaught saga. Reed Richards comes out and he's just shredded. He's huge and he's buff, and I was like, what? It was bizarre. This who can stretch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it made no sense. It made it, it. He should be like lanky and yeah. skinny. 
yeah. It just sort of annoyed me, and I was like, yeah, there's just not. There's, I just don't need more of that unless it's a conscious, like it, it's for that character. Um, like that's their background. It's like uh, you're writing about someone who goes to the gym. You put it in there, but otherwise, yeah. Like, and unfortunately, it is represented as you're saying, like today's actors. You look at like Ryan Gosling. Why does he need to be that buff? Yeah, I mean it's ridiculous. Like I think of, um, you know, like even those those vampire movies and stuff like that, and Chris Helmsworth and yeah. like Captain Captain Kirk. <laughs> like you look at today's Captain Kirk <laughs> versus old Captain Kirk. <laughs> That is a great and, comparison. And it was just like Shatner never had a six pack. No, he just like. And this this guy, man, he's got like you know an eight pack rocking. Like, yeah. Oh. It just seems a bit weird. I, I don't know. It always takes me out because I'm like, I've I've had stints in my life where I've gotten fit and I've done. I used to be a really big long distance runner and 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 would like to think I got my body to some point of peak physical condition, but I never pushed it to the point of like shredding an eight pack out like. To do that, you have to so ridiculously focus on that. You're not focused on getting fit. And nothing else. You're not yeah. focused on having a life. Um, I actually had a mate recently who was like, my resolution is to get a six-pack this year. And he went about and he did it. God bless him, he did it. But he had to commit every like thought, every day to it. Everything he put in his mouth. And you'd go around there and he'd be like, oh, I've just got to go out for a run. And then he'd be doing sit-ups and then he'd be doing kettlebells and he'd be doing all this sort of stuff. And he... He got it, but I was like, oh, I, I could never spend my time doing that. And we all sort of said to him, you got to keep it? And he was like, oh, hell no. Yeah. So he was like, this looks great. And I'm going to get some photos, and then I'm just going to have like a liter of ice cream. Because <laughs> yeah, Bravo to word around to it. So whenever I think of a character and I'm like, and I, like, I do it with superheroes all the time. I'm like, the Punisher, he does that in his spare time. I'm like, I'm down with that. But... I don't imagine like Matt Murdock being like, Oh, I gotta get my abs. Like I gotta really shred these abs down. He'd be fit and they work out and they keep on top of their game, but they don't you look at like fit Olympians, not all of them have that defined chiseled six pack. Um, I mean they had that that um that image photo sort of board go out a few years ago, I think, where they showed the body types of all the different Olympians. I was going to say it depended on the sport yeah. because if you look at the if you look at the gymnasts, it's very different than those guys who do the heavy weightlifting yeah. competitions. Yeah, yeah, your runners and then your divers and then your pole vaulters are all different, but they're all like at, at peak performance what they do, but they don't all look the same. And I don't know, that always takes me out with stories where I look at a character and I'm like, how does he have time to have the day job and have a wife, but he's got the six pack? I'm like. Uh, that takes time. I mean, there are there are some people, and bless them, just genetically have a six pack. Uh, they could be sitting around, you know, drinking lard milkshakes, and they, their body just processes. But they have <laughs> yeah, very yeah, right. few in between, and we hate them passionately. So yes, exactly. <laughs> they're not. They're not. They are not allowed in our in our zombie bunker. <laughs> no, no. Um, so I mean, it's out there, but mostly it's just I don't know. Little things like that start to take me out of the story and out of movies and stuff like that. Like when you see. Uh, like uh, Amityville Horror with Ryan Reynolds is a really big example where he, he takes the shirt off and he's chopping the axe, uh, chopping the wood. And I'm just like, how does a dad have time to have a body like that? Like, he'd, he'd be in the gym nonstop. Like, I, I openly, like, I said to my wife, I, if you want me to be, you know, six-pack Harry, I'll do it. But we will never, ever, ever spend time together because I'll be at the gym. And she was like, 
Well, to be honest, I'm quite a hairy guy, so I could have a six pack and you wouldn't see it. So motivation <laughs> is always. At least you're honest. <laughs> <laughs> or as I tell people, I have a six pack. It's just under there. You can't see it. Can't see it. <laughs> it's fooling no one, unfortunately. But I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those things where I'm just like, I don't know. I I I very rarely write like he's got to have the six pack, and I don't. I try not to write females where I'm like, oh, and she's 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 dropped dead, double D's, and you know, hourglass figure. I'm like, ah. Just, I'm like, here's, I, I, I rarely sort of describe looks of people even. I'm just sort of like, oh, they should have this sort of feel to them. Run with that. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, I think a little part of me likes drawing sort of skinny, lanky dudes. Cause then I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's me on the page. All right. Sort of, uh, uh, uh push a little of my own sort of persona. At the, I mean, I look at Brian K. Vaughan's Why the Last Man and Yorick. Yeah. Perfect character. He didn't need to have a six pack. It didn't fit the character. wasn't going to fit the story. And but when they cast him for the TV show, how much do you want to bet that he's going to be some, like, you know, Hollywood sweetheart with, yeah. uh, you know, it's it, it's when Hollywood gets a hold of it, too. It's just such a different creature at that point. You've lost a lot of authenticity with some of them. It's Yeah, it just becomes a yeah, much more a visual medium. And they'll have, like, that's why I love Arrow. And just watching old mate do the the, the, the pull ups with that bar, and he's like climbing people. Around. That's um, that's that's such a ridiculous thing to to be doing. It's just a complete ab show off, and I'm like, cool, go for it, yeah. And, and I guess it fits the character in the show because he's so driven, and that's all he's doing. Because that's what he's supposed to be. But that's just it. It's sort of like you know, it makes sense. That's what he's doing. If they, like every once in a while, like on on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they would show Buffy working out and yeah. and doing her training exercises yeah. and stuff, and they do that in Batman a lot too. Yeah, and it's like it's like yeah, okay, well that's awesome. That's what they need to do. But you know what? It's um, it's not something every character needs to do. Like if your character, if you're writing a story about I don't know, an accountant. Yeah. You know, or a a hacker. Yeah. I'm sorry. I work with people who sit in cubicles and are nerds and don't look up. They, you know, some of them might. Some of them, you know, they're not all, some of them care, but very few of them do. A lot of them are just like lost track of time. They don't know what's going on. They're plugged in and oh, man. and that's it. I'm, yeah, when I'm writing, I'm lucky to have like a, a drink of water when I should. No less like stop and go, oh, I better work. Better work out right. the, the obliques. Better get in the right. Although I'm hoping when this uh, podcast drops, I'm just hoping you get a lot of accountants and hackers start posting uh, ab selfies to you on Twitter. Ab selfies. We will have to. We'll have to make a contest or something. Actually, I actually saw my first ab selfie on Facebook this year. Oh, uh, see that. Oh, oh, okay. Just for this year, I was going to say because <laughs> if, it's like I don't know what it is with like dude bros. Yeah. But it's like the the dude bro persona. It's like it's always them with like their shirt lifted up. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, it's, it's like a it's a bunch of them with mates, and then you just see the dude bro in the corner lifting his shirt up, and I'm like, lifting his oh, shirt. Oh. It's just a like, cry like, for attention. You just realize it's just. It's just that it's like, like no matter what these ads, unless they're going to be appreciated, somebody please, please look at them. Yeah, uh, it's, I don't know, I know, but it's just yeah, it's it's just a weird, funny thing, and it's like, and sometimes it's not what your character is about, and if your character is, um, you know, if it's about his brains, you know, a character like Reed Richards. Yeah. Um, and here, you know, in in Headspace, it's like we've got we've got Max. Yeah. Who we don't really know anything about yet in issue one. We don't know much at all. Yeah. But um you know 
we've we're living inside the mind of a serial killer at this point. So at this, it, it's somebody whose mind is very important, and it's not. You know, if Max has a six pack, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I mean, unless unless it matters, unless it matters like that sort of De Niro taxi driver thing. Yeah, yeah. I I think I can go on record and say that Max would not have a really defined six pack, uh, but he would be he would be fit and lean. He would be he would be fit. There's not a there's not a little tub on his gut, but I don't think he spent his spare time. Getting zero percent okay. body fat down there. I'm going to go on record and say that. And okay, because I don't know where Max is. If Max if Max has done prison time, you know maybe yeah. he's got nothing else to do. That baffles me that we give prisoners gyms, gyms and education. Yeah, I know. But I'm always just like, I'm all for giving them books, but my brother's a prison uh, guard, and he's like, I don't understand why we make these violent, upset people uh, the time to become, like, physical weapons so that yeah. they want to turn around and just, like, trash a guard. They can. Like, he's, like yeah. he's said that there's some people in there that are very big, very large. And, like, man, I wouldn't want to go as a guard in there. I'd get torn apart. Like, I don't know why we give them, like, keep them healthy, sure. But I also, like, he talks about they get, um like, uh, big uh, disposable razors, and that's one of their rights they're allowed to shave. Yet, nearly daily, one of them will break the razor housing <laughs> open, and then they will have a little blade, and then they will do something with it. And I'm like, you could solve this problem by not giving them razor blades. And it's like, yeah, if only. That's one of their, you know, their rights. I'd just, I'd walk them into, like, a the barber once a week and just trim their beard. That's as good as it's going to get, champ. Like, it always <laughs> baffles me that they're there. Because they do. They take the blades out and they swallow them. Um, yeah. just so they can go to the infirmary and get a bit of attention and get off the cell block. And I'm like, isn't that a hassle? My brother's just shaking his head and being like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a real hassle, but you can't change those things. But when they're, you know, when they're in there for, you know, 50 to life, you know, what else they got going? Yeah, they're just sort of trying to just see what can happen. And, and he does, he, says, he just says they're like, they're just testing the boundaries and the perimeters constantly and just seeing what will happen. And, Oh man, I couldn't do it. I love I love talking to my brother about the prison, but I could yeah. never do it. And it's the same. My wife, uh, she is a um, she works in drug and alcohol rehabilitation, and she actually works in a methadone dosing clinic for um, uh, like drug addicts. And the story she comes out with, where they're like, "Oh yeah, the cops are picking on me. Oh, I was only like thirty above the speed limit when I was driving, or you know, I was only a little bit drunk." And it's just like. They're not picking on you. They're enforcing laws that you choose to ignore. Like I, I would last in that job about an hour before I would <laughs> be picked up a verbal fight or something. Like, yeah, I, and she's amazing at it. God bless her. She is. She's always. She's very non-confrontational. And they'll come in and be like, "Oh, these fucking bricks and blah 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 blah." She's like, "Oh yeah, it's terrible." Isn't it? Oh, the cops. Yeah, they're the worst. Like she would just say whatever, and you deal with them for three minutes, give them their methadone, and send them on their way. I couldn't do it. Like, I just, I, I have too much of a mouth on me, uh, unfortunately. It's one of those things where I'd be like, no, maybe you should stop. And then it would escalate. I would uh, <laughs> just need to curb myself every now and then. Um, I, 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 I was going to say before as well, if Headspace is ever picked up for TV or, or film, I really hope they don't, they don't pick. Well, they can pick someone with a six-pack. Just don't show it. Don't have the good. Yeah, it's just not necessary. Yeah, it's. 
you know, unless, you know, if there's some sort of romantic scene or shower scene, I don't know. It's like, is it gratuitous or is it part of the story? Yeah. Like, is it only so that we can see this dude in the shower, like, which we don't see enough? Yeah. Um, yeah. If it's just, uh, if it's just for no reason or just, just showing them changing their shirt. Yeah. yeah like that one's that scene in the new the new star trek where like the chick is in her underwear it's completely gratuitous yeah yeah it's like it's not that she's not beautiful it's just it was pointless it served no purpose yeah it's not helpful then it's kind of yeah. it's kind of skeezy i uh yeah i try to i try to steer away from that i don't think we have any uh any real nudity in uh in this first issue and uh i'm sort of thinking forward and yeah there's not no, it's not. It's not the story we're writing. That's for sure. Well, see, that's you know, so like the like we don't because we don't know about the serial killer stuff yet. Yeah. So I mean, it could be like I've read a couple, you know, like serial killers stories. I mean, for well, first of all, there's like you know, there's like the Joker level stuff, yeah. which is you know, the, like the most heinous character of all time. And but then there's um, there's the the Green River Killer. That is a great book. Oh, it was amazing. It was it was tough to read. Yeah, it's like it was tough to read because this shit happened. Yeah, and you know, and the art was like really perfect for it. Uh, um, they aged the characters because they were constantly like like you you were talking about going back and forth. Yeah, with things. Yeah, and it didn't have captions because you didn't need them because the art worked so well yeah, in illustrating. Well, this is this guy younger and this is this guy older. Yeah. Um. So like here it's about, you know, the, this person's mind and his motivations and stuff. And we don't know anything about him. So why, I mean, what is, what is it to you that makes a criminal like this so fascinating? Uh, anyone that, that can and does murder. I don't know. I find that it's just so far out of my, my sort of realm, my, my sphere of this world. It's uh, it's interesting to sort of explore why they do it. And I mean, you look at Max in the story at the moment, he's just sort of on the run. And yeah, it is a little oblique. We don't really know exactly why, but he's he's a, he's he's a man who is he is open to the idea of killing. And it's just sort of one of those things that happens. Um He's a, he's an interesting and complex guy. And we definitely get more into how he does things and why uh, as the story unfolds uh, moving forward. But yeah, he's just one of those guys who it's like, he's not insane. He's functioning. He's, uh, he would, he, he, he would come across as normal, but he's still, he's relatively reserved and he's, he's quiet and, and he's not, um he's not too boisterous or bombastic about his lifestyle or about how things happen. He just, he's very comfortable with death. And uh, I don't know, someone that can just be very easy with it, I want to say it scares me, but it just, it rattles me. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, I just can't imagine being, being that, that just laissez-faire with it, I guess, would be the idea where they're just, yeah, you know, it happens. And I do, I want this, I want this story to feel as, as much as it is kind of science fiction and it's quite fantastical. I do want it to feel grounded in the motivations and the consequences of actions. Um, whereas when you look at Shane, who is the polar opposite, where at the opening of the story, he talks about we don't kill and he's very adamant. And that is one of his prime tenets, his character. He does not believe in killing. He does not 
believes that that is a way forward in any situation, and that's very important to who he is. He's not comfortable with it, and he does not want to go down that path. And so we have the opposite, which is Max, where he's just like, oh, he's not, he's not lashing out to do it. He's just like, well, it happens. You know, death is death is a part of the world, sort of thing. So yeah, they're very sort of polar opposite characters in that respect. And so it's sort of fun to make them slowly butt heads as the story moves forward, uh, because they have such different views and beliefs of the world. I don't know. I was I very conscious. I didn't want to make Max this sort of wild nut nutcase. That's not okay. That's not who I wanted him to be. Okay, because that's um, it's it's interesting because our American news, anyway, like yeah. every other day or pretty much every day, is a you know like some sort of shooting. You yeah. Know? Whether it's a mass shooting, which I think needs to be like four victims and and above. Yeah. But. You know, but there's always like a school shooting. But, you know, some of the most horrific ones, obviously, are when, you know, when it is a, a um, group number, you yeah. know, like the the lunatic that goes into the movie theater and shoots it up or, yeah. or into the school and shoots it up. And it always comes back to mental illness. Always. It's never not come back to mental illness. Yeah. It's, um, it, whereas if somebody goes and holds up a liquor store, they don't bring it up. Yeah. And I don't know what the, like, what's the difference? Like, and it, it's like, okay, that guy like robbed you and maybe shot the clerk or whatever. And that doesn't come out as like, as a concern. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point where it's just, you know, those people are, you know, those people are bad and, and mean and they just rob people. But then when it gets to a larger scale, it's like, oh yeah, brain meltdown there. It must've been video games. Definitely the comic books too. Um, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've, I've I've never really thought about that where they just talk about you know when it's on a smaller scale, it's just it's treated in a different way. It depends. Yeah, it's like well, especially if it's just like a lonely white kid, then it's obviously the kid was bullied and tormented. Yeah. Like, well, who the hell isn't? <laughs> you know who who went through their teenage years and didn't feel like shit? Yeah, that's like yeah I. I, I always sort of have trouble seeing those things where they're just like, oh, let's quickly make an excuse for it. And in the end, I, and, and I worry that that culture then, it builds the, the killers, then they get to feel like the victims afterwards as well and go, oh, it wasn't my fault. And it is. You're making it. It sets them up for an amazing legal defense is all it does. Yeah. I always sort of, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm a primary school teacher. And I see kids at that age. I haven't seen any shootings, but I see kids at that age that do. They make an excuse. I've had kids do terrible things to other students in the school and they go, oh, you know, it's because, you know, and one kid used to say, oh, you know, it's because, and he would cite something that happened when he was one and he was told about it. And yeah, it sounded like it was a terrible situation. I feel for him, but he knew he could bring it up as a thing. And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm, I like, I have this discussion with my wife a bit and she does. She, she thinks I'm a little bit cold uh, on this front because some kids will say, oh, you know, it's because, you know, my, my mum's sick or whatever, and that's why I punched a kid. When I was in primary school, my father died. Um, and I never once used it as an excuse to do anything. Um, and I even very, and at that age, and I was about five or six when it occurred, and in the, the, the early resulting years, I was very conscious. I would not use it as an excuse. I would not use it to not hand in homework. I would not use it so that I could snipe at other kids or be mean or even get into physical altercations because I felt like, it was my problem and I would deal with it and I dealt with it, I guess, probably by bottling it up, which 
works for some, doesn't work for others, probably <laughs> won't work. And for you became a writer. Yeah, and now I you know, <laughs> spew it onto the page. But, you know, I see people that make these excuses, and then I look at society, and I'm like, yeah, it's endemic. They make excuses there where they're like, oh, you know, it's it's because, uh, the, I mean, you look at all the, the furor now about, you know, the, the kids will only thrive if they have both parents, a mother and a father in the home. You can't have single parents, and you can't have gay parents. And I'm like, that's shit. That is a, a whole bunch of horse shit. Like, that's just excuse making. Like, people thrive fine. Like, uh, my father died when I was five. I turned out fine. I was raised just by my mother. Like, you can fall back on things. And sometimes it is. And I will admit, and this is where my wife disagrees with me, where she's like, no, you got through it. Not everybody gets through it. And I'm like, all right, okay, yeah, people have different abilities to cope with things and people uh, react differently to the same thing that can occur so i get that but i don't know i just don't like i don't like excuses (laughs) which (laughs) makes me a hard-ass teacher they always sort of they know it does sound like you would be a pretty hard teacher yeah if a problem comes to me i'm like no you did this and this is the consequence and I build great relationships with kids and I'm always, I'm very fair and I'm to the line and I don't become vindictive and go, oh, this is your third strike, that's it. I'm going to get the rusty bike chain out and you're not going to like it. Like, it's not personal, but I'll just say, here's the line, here's where you crossed it, this is how it goes. And, and sort of, I'm not about excuse making. And I mean, even thinking about that, I'm thinking about Max. He doesn't make excuses. I'll give him that as a character. He's not an excuse maker in the slightest. Um, okay, so we don't have to, I mean, it depends on, on where we're coming from, because like I said, we don't know much about Max, but it's like, there's so many tropes, like his mother molested him, or yeah. his mother didn't molest him, but kept him, you know, under strict, strict control with the, her Bible talk, oh, or something. Yes. Um, no, none of that, none of that in Max's backstory, which uh, which will come out, I'm trying to think of what issue we review, it's issue four or five where you will uh, you will come to know exactly where Max is coming from and what informs him now. You'll very clearly uh, have that sort of spelled out for you. And, yeah, it's nothing like that, that's for sure. And it's certainly not uh, – there'll be no excuses made around it, which I hadn't really thought about before, but just having this discussion, yeah, I'm realizing, and I feel really good about that now. He's not – it's not going to fall back that, you know, the, somebody molested him and now he's lashing out at the world. There's none of that. None of that whatsoever. No, he's he'll firmly take responsibility for his actions. Ah, I feel really good about that. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait. How many issues do you do you have planned? Uh, it's going to be eight in total. Okay. Yeah. So it'll run uh, throughout the entire year, and we very much have a, a firm uh, end point uh, where okay. everything sort of wraps up and everything comes together. Um, that was sort of one of the things we set in place early. I was like, this is where we build to. This is where it goes. And uh, Eric and uh, my uh, a good friend of mine and a, a story breaker, the Supreme that I trust completely, Dan Hill, uh, who is our editor on this project. Um, he 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 sort of we we told him the ending, and he was like, oh, that's brilliant. That's going to look amazing. That's going to wrap everything up. That's going to be satisfying. Great. So yeah, we always sort of wanted to build to that point, um, and I can't wait to get there to be honest. And so we're just sort of making sure that every issue has things that it's just like, well, we're getting there. We're getting there. And hopefully, I don't know, it's one of those things where I want it to be an emotional beat. I, li- I like a good emotional beat. I like a good emotional end uh, to my stories. And so I think on that last page, it will it will grab people. That's the plan. 
Now, is is it going to be throughout the eight issues that you have the tag team between the the art teams because of the of flashbacks, or was that something just specifically for the beginning of the story? No, that will be moving forward completely. Um, Chris okay. Chris and Marissa will handle the in real life sequence uh, uh, going right until the end, um, and Eric will focus purely on Carpenter Cove and their headspace. Um, yeah, yeah, that's uh, and and uh, issue two actually we don't have a Max in real life sequence uh, just in sort of structuring it. Uh, he doesn't pop up, and then he's 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 in every other issue moving forward. So yeah, we will be having the split up then. Okay, because one of the things that I noticed, aside from yeah, the art style itself changes as far as conceptually, was the color palette changed. Yeah. yeah. Now how uh, how much direction did you give for that, or we all, was it? We all discussed it, but it was a very conscious decision. Okay. It very because much, it's like. like it was like really like blue and green yep. in Shane's world. And then when we get out, there's like bright sunny yellow with like mint green, like a pastel green. Yeah. So it was like really different. You knew that you were in different places. That's one reason I want, I wanted it to feel like different places, but I wanted the different places to have very different tones to them. So I wanted to make sure that Carpenter Cove just doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel like home. Doesn't feel welcoming. And it's not. In any way. And then the real so, world, I like that it's a, it's a little more pop, a little more upbeat, but that's where we're dealing with the killer. Um, I sort of like that. Yeah, which is really strange that that's the, the happy the happy looking place is where it's not. Yeah. Um, did, so is Marissa specifically the like the color artist she, only for Chris's work? Just for Chris, yeah. Eric colors his own work. Eric colors his own. Okay. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's a wizard. He can basically do it all. He letters the entire book as well. Um, he sort of, he knows how to lay things out. Uh, I, I just, eventually he's going to figure out how to write and, uh, then I'm, I'm fucked. Then you're done. <laughs> yeah. Then there. <laughs> he has no need for me anymore because yeah, I mean, I love, I love his stuff and, um. Maybe he'll let you write the forward. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. That'd be nice. That'd be really nice of him. I'll, I'll ride those coattails. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I feel like, I, I mean, both both of these guys on the art team are destined for more. Like I, oh, yeah, I love I love Chris's work. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had a bit of work with Dark Horse, and um, he's, he's done a lot of other sort of DIY stuff, and uh, I don't know if it's been announced, so I won't, I won't steal his thunder, but he's got other things uh, coming up, and, yeah, he's he's a name that's not going anywhere. And, oh, yeah. And same with Eric, he's... He's got. A, I, I really dig Eric's style, and um, and the fact that he's so concerned with story and with how the story sort of flows on the page and how things happen. And um, I know I gave him a note on this issue. I was like, "Oh, can we change this line?" And he was like, "Oh, I've really got his face expressing the other line." And I was like, "That's really awesome." I was like, "I really like okay. the, you. You really sound." I was like, "I was like, yeah, absolutely. We don't need to change the line." I said, "What I need to happen can 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 come in another place." Totally. Um, and it's, it's good collaborating with him in that way where he'll be like, Oh, can we not, can we do it a different way? He'll sort of challenge it. It's not, there is no top down on this project. It, um, it's just, it's all, it's, it is a real collaboration, which I like. And, um, and then, I mean, talking about going places, Marissa, uh, is somebody who I, I think her work is phenomenal. And I, I love that she puts a lot of thought into things as well. Um, and she really sort of 
comes up with palettes and then it's like, all right, are we cool with these sort of range of colors? And then she goes in and the way she applies them, I think is, is, is really gorgeous. And, um, yeah, she's another one who's, she's conscious of having that diversity on show as well. And if you look through her sequence with Chris, you'll see uh, all the colors of the rainbow when people are concerned. And I think that that's really cool where she's sort of happy to just go, yeah, let's sort of, let's reflect a bit of what's around us. And, um, I'm doing a few other projects with her uh, sort of coming down the pike and she's just doing top shelf stuff. She's another one of those collaborators where I'm like, I better like work with her as much as possible now because she'll be out of my league later. Um, so, just, so where did you find them? Because I do want to talk about, you know, th- stuff that you have coming up, but, but since we're talking about this incredible team together and you guys have such this, uh, you know, uh, amazing relationship, how did you, all come together uh eric i knew on twitter he's one of the uh the canadian crew of, of comic makers um i probably met him through ed brisson i would say because he's done a short story with ed uh on challenger comics um he so yeah we started following each other um and then he sort of he, he sent me a dm and was like hey man you, you got any stuff coming up you want to do some collaboration and sort of we got into a chat that way um, Chris, I met, I mean, he just did a one shot with Jeremy Holt. So he's just, right. he's, Which he's like blows my thing. mind. Oh, yeah, Holt, yeah. His work on that was dynamite. Oh, I uh, love it. So he's sort of in that Twitter circle where there's a, there's a whole bunch of us that are, are all sort of very tight online and, and chat and email back and forth. So, uh, both of those, both the artists sort of, I think just fell into that where, I couldn't even tell you where or when I started following them or when they started following me. We've just sort of been a part of this wide cast net crew for a while. Um, but Marissa, I met uh, through Jason Lewis, a, a colorist uh, who's done some work here and there. And I was online looking for a colorist for another project. And he uh, shot me a DM, was like, uh, I know this uh, lady, she does great work. You want to get in touch with her? Um, and so I started chatting to Marissa that way. So another Twitter hookup, but, um, we weren't following each other yet, but, um, I fell in love with her work instantly. And so we started doing some different things and, uh, yeah, she really sort of, she, she varies things per project and she's very collaborative and she'll talk and she will discuss things with the artist. Um, she's amazing to work with, uh, from a, from a writer standpoint, she's amazing. And I, I know the artists feel the same way too. I, I had read a, a really crazy thread. My my friend Paul Aller had um, had a, a really interesting conversation going, where for whatever reason, the people doing color on a project had not been they oh, don't yeah. get they don't get scripts. And I'm like, how can your people doing color not get scripts? How do they know what stuff is unless you know? I mean, obviously, I can see like you know somebody gives them concept sketches or character sketches and designs and stuff. That's one thing, but right. how do they know if it's day or night? How do they know what the mood is? How do they you know right. like how are they doing this? I don't understand and, how that would work. And uh, and several you know, like you know a couple of the you know the, the people that were there were saying yeah I flat and I don't get any scripts and I do color and I don't get any scripts like that seems like the most bizarre thing to me. It's like really do you give scripts to your letterer? Because I, yeah. I just can't even imagine. <laughs> I I couldn't imagine getting art and just that alone and someone just being like just color this in. I'd be scared to yeah, it could be so many anything. ways to do things totally against what it should be. 
um, like you say, day and night and things like that. And yeah, it would worry, it would worry me doing like I, yeah, I would just ask for the script. There's no way I'd know how to do it moving forward. There's just, there's just such a broad range, just the variation alone. Like you have guys that do, and I mean, I just say guys generally, you have guys that do, um, Stuff that's very muted, like, you know, uh, mm. like westerns are very often done with, like, there's not deep saturation. Yeah. You know, and more with very earthy tones and you don't see, like, shocking blood red, you know, like everything. And then you've got stuff that's, like, really primary and yeah. bright and, like, Art and Franco work. I mean, yeah, you know, like, yeah, exactly. There's so many different ways that things can be done. Um, I don't know. I have. The more I've worked in comics and the more I've worked with art scenes and colorists, the more I've really adapted my script style where a lot of the times I will just sort of, you know, I'll state whether it's day or night. And then if I, if I were to just do that, I would totally trust Marissa to then know like what to do with the page and what she wanted to do with the page. Um, but every now and then I'll put in like a little note, like, should we make the background on this panel all red or orange? Marissa, do you want to chat about it? And I'll leave that in the script. And then, um, or I'll write like, Marissa, you make a choice. Or if you want, we can chat about it. And usually like, she'll just sort of run with it. And her instincts, uh, there's not been a lot of times that I've had to question any choices on the page. I'm trying to even think if I've ever had to. She just sort of knows what looks good and what works and what will fuel the narrative. Um, I feel like her coloring, she's one of those colorers that... It, it, she, she's she's really part of the storytelling team, and so she will bring things together. I mean, you look at there's a sequence uh, early in the book where Max is on the run from some government agents, and he basically he, he goes on the attack. He's 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 killing a few of them, and at the top of the page we've got this sort of like this yellow panel, and then we have an orange panel in the middle of the page, and then down the bottom one of the panels is like blood red. I just saw that page and was like done cool i didn't script any of that um i wish i could take the credit for it that's all marissa and it looks amazing on the page but it also fits with what's occurring in the story and that's what it's like working with her she just runs with it and i mean i think i sent her an email after the first page where she colored a bunch of stuff and i was like oh we need uh, max's shirt to be red because that will that will gel with something that occurs elsewhere in the story but otherwise, I said, I totally trust you as an artist and as a storyteller to just to just run with it. I said, if there's any notes in the script that you want to chat about, let's do it. Otherwise, uh, why would I tell like her how to do something that she's amazing at? And I got no idea. Like, I'm 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 not an artist. Uh, I, I always feel really uncomfortable asking for changes. Um purely because is what I'm suggesting better? Does it work? Like, I sort of start to doubt myself. I mean, I count myself as a... No, I think you should trust your artist. They, they, you know, they're schooled in this. Yeah. Like, I'm a savvy reader, and I know what I like, but and I like Marissa's work, so that always works. But every now and then, I'll be like, oh, no, like, there's... Um, like they're doing thumbnails moving forward. There was one page where I, I sent Eric a note and was like, oh, can we actually mix this up and do it uh, this this other way? And he was like, oh, yeah, cool. Um, oh, and there was actually, there was a page in the, in the first issue where um, I just, and this is usually when it happens, and this is why I like seeing thumbnails. 
if my script isn't clear, if I've written it poorly, the artist may think I mean something else. Um, and so there was the, the splash page early on in this where I think it's page three where um, Shane is kicking Linda out into the waters off Carpenter Cove. And um, uh, Eric laid it out and I was like, oh, and I read my script panel description. I was like, oh, I missed like one key thing that I meant to write. I was like, can we actually structure it this way? And Eric was like, yeah, cool. And we catch it in thumbnail stage and that's easy. Um, that's why I always ask my artists if I can see the thumbnails first. And I worry that they're like, Oh God, he's going to have a, he's going to be a control freak and have a bunch of notes. And I only ever do it because sometimes I'm worried I haven't been clear enough with how I've written the panel description. Um, and maybe it'll be, I think that's a really valid point. Yeah. That's a, that is a really, really valid point that it's not that you're doubting them, but you're questioning your direction. Yeah. I'm doubting myself always. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll look over there sometimes. I mean, if I look at uh, Chris's pages, there are a few times where, and he asked up front, he was like, are you cool if I like structure this or add a panel or whatever, or, you know, subtract a panel? And I'm like, yes. And that's my deal with every artist. I'm like, yeah, it's your page, man. Um, and he did, he added panels here and there and he would change, like, uh, I don't write too many, uh, what we like, I guess you would call camera sort of, uh, directions. Um, right. I, I, I don't think I write too many of those every now and then I'll be like, Oh, this would be cool if it was a, maybe a wide panel. Like I do see pages visually in my head, but if an artist doesn't deliver what I saw in my head, but the page still looks amazing and works, I don't call them on it. I'll just be like, and usually they do it better because that's their job and that's what they're awesome at. Um, but I, I'll sort of let it go. But every now and then I'll be like, Oh, I, you're meant to see, you know, the, the gun on the counter. Cause that'll go off in the third act. And they'll be like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, script the better next time, dumbass. And, uh, we'll move forward. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but with, with this, it's just been so easy where Eric brings amazing game. And then Chris is, is, is design and his actual, you know, line work is just superb. And then the way both uh, Eric and Marissa color it, it all just comes together where it's fueling the story and you're hopefully getting a sense of tone, which I think is really important in comics. Um, yeah, the more I read comics, the more I'm like, color, color can make or break a book. Like unbelievably so. And so we really yeah, want it to make, to make this book. I, I, I don't want it to be poorly colored. And uh, quite thankfully, it is not, which makes me very happy. I, I hope that when it gets reviewed that people mention the color. I'd like that. It's uh, it's one of those things that comes up again and again that, you know, the colorists don't get mentioned. Um, so hopefully with this, especially with the differing styles, they certainly will be and should be. Yeah, it stood out for me. It's, um, you know, and like I said, there were, there were things, like you said, you know, talking about the, the cultural backgrounds of the characters and stuff like that. Like, you know, you it might, like every reader might not get that, because they're already absorbed in the story that it's not, you know, or it's not different enough to them. And yeah. if it is different enough, then they'll be like, they're like, wow. Yeah. Why isn't more, why aren't more books like this or, you know, yeah. or something like that. But, um, so let's, uh, what's your distribution for this? Who's the, who's publishing and how are people going to find it? Yeah. So it's a monkey brain comics book, which is, is honestly like a dream come true. They're a publisher. That's, it is awesome. Oh, That's fantastic. They've only been around about a year and a half, but, yeah, they're so great, though. Their quality, like, they're a publisher where I'm like, I'll try a book because it's a monkey brain book. It's it's an imprint of quality um, where it could be any sort of genre book. I'm just like, if it's attached to this publisher, it's no doubt pretty good. 
and that's held pretty strong across their line. Um, I, 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 I didn't think I'd even be able to blip on Monkey Brain's radar for, for years to come, but um, uh, Chris Sabila, who writes High Climbs for them, is a, uh, is a handsome devil, a gentleman and a scholar, and he introduced <laughs> me to Chris uh, in Emerald City in Seattle earlier last year. Um, which was something he certainly didn't have to do, didn't need to do. Um, it just sort of happened, and he was he was awesome to do it. And so uh, Chris and I got sort of chatting, and then uh, uh, between Chris Allison and I, they they picked up Headspace, and it's really like it's an amazing place to land. They let the creative team run with it. They let us make so many decisions and have the control, and so it means that we are a digital first book. So uh, it means people can go to Comicsology. On Wednesday, and the book will be there in the the digital first uh, row or page, and uh, they can get the book for ninety nine cents, which uh, is also something that excites me. It means that back end uh, we're losing out on the millions of dollars that we've got. Of course, there. you are. <laughs> That's the Hollywood deal. That's when Hollywood comes in. All right, uh, <laughs> one million per six pack. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, we 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 made sure that you know the first issue is ninety nine cents. I'm a I'm a pretty heavy digital reader. I'm a big monkey brain reader. I love that pretty much all their books are 99 cents, and that's what I like to pay for my digital content. So uh, it was very important to me that we kept it at 99 cents, um, and uh, Eric and everybody sort of agreed that that's what we should do uh, with the book. So, yeah, they can go and they can find it on, on Comixology, and uh, uh, hopefully everybody realizes, but if you buy from the Comixology website, uh, it means that Apple doesn't take uh, one third of the cover price. So I did not know that. Oh, really? Yeah. If you buy a comic through your iPad or through your iPhone on Comixology, Apple automatically takes thirty-three percent of whatever you spend. Um, okay. so There's a lot of money, you know, uh, adding adding it up. Um, so if you go to the Comixology website, Comixology.com, you go to the comic, you purchase it there. Apple doesn't get to take that big wet bite out of it, and that leaves thirty-three cents that gets to be. Uh, well, how I like to feel more justly distributed, um, and then it's, and and I do it. I go, I actually go to my local comic book store, Impact Comics. I go to their Comicsology page, so they get a tiny slice of the sale. And I buy books there, and then I open up my iPad and I launch Comicsology. And under my purchases tab, the book appears there instantly, and I just press download. And so it doesn't. It takes me maybe a let's say an extra minute. Let's round up and say an extra minute, and I know that more of my money goes to the creative team then. So uh, if if you can and would like to do that, people, I would really be appreciative. And I know Eric and Chris and Marissa and the rest of us all working back end uh, would be appreciative of a third of uh, your money not being sort of washed away. And uh, and I don't want to feel like I'm running Apple out of business because I'm pretty sure I'm. I, th- I think they can I'm afford out it. Of business, yeah. I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. Um, okay, so I uh, I did look up the the Twitter information for the rest of the team, but bef- uh, before we do that, what's what's in the pipeline for you? Moving like, do you have? I I I. Is there... I can hint at things, absolutely. You I can hint at things, okay. Because it's yeah. going to be a big year. It is going to be the year of Ryan and Kay Lindsay. I can only hope, because I really felt like every year would be 
and then someone like Paul Aller would steal the year instead. You know, that Paul Aller, he's just everywhere. He's going to, you know, he's he's really going to be, he's going to be one of those, like, recluse types yeah. that, like, nobody hears from because he's just so busy cranking out books. Doing all the books, yeah. I feel like uh, 2014 is going to be the, the year of Aller instead of Lindsay. <laughs> but uh, okay. I'm going to take a run at him. Yeah, later this year, uh, 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 Sammy Cavella and I have a uh, a book called Chum that we'll be bringing to a publisher. Uh, it's sort of like a beach noir story. It's sort of like my it's my hack at doing like a, an old gold medal uh, paperback pulp crime story. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very sort of dark. Um, it's very very criminal. It's just full of uh, it's just full of bad people. So I'm really excited. And Marissa is coloring that book. And her coloring a beach crime story is as gorgeous as you think it would be. Um, so yeah, that'll be coming out. Uh, we're hoping to launch later this year. And I do believe we will be. And in bet- uh, between uh, now and then, uh, there are two one shots that I'll be bringing out sort of DIY style, much like I brought out Fatherhood, uh, last year through Challenger Comics. I've got, uh, two other one shots that are getting close to finished. Uh, with art teams, and Sammy Cavella is working on one, uh, and a good Australian friend of mine, Louis Joyce, is working on another that's a sort of a, a female kung fu revenge story that I'm really excited to see how he wraps up some of those pages. Uh, so those will be coming forward, and other than that, just sort of, uh, I'm on, I'm in the, the scam uh, ultimate collection. Oh. Big giant, yeah. Which, uh, as we go to uh, digitization now, is maybe just winding up its Kickstarter campaign. Um, that was awesome to be involved in. So I've got a short there. I've got a few other shorts coming up that I can't talk about, um, but some exciting things, absolutely. Great. Um, well, I think that Marissa's Twitter is at Marissa Draws. That's the one. That's the one. And Eric is at Eric XYZ. Yes. <laughs> and Chris, uh, I've been following is versus robots, yes, correct? That's the one. That is the same. VS, yeah, VS robots. Um, so it's great that I got to add a couple new Twitter people today. Yeah. Um, and, today. Uh, my, the editor on the project is at Dan underscore Hill. And, uh, he's, he's an amazing sort of story minded guy. He's a, I brought him on because he's smart. And he knows structure and he's, he's a really good editor. He will just sort of, he will call me on bullshit and just be like, why is this line this long? Or why is this happening? And that's been really healthy. Um, and we also have, uh, another guy who's involved, which is uh, Christopher Kosek, who's designing the back matter pages for me, which was, uh, which was important for me. He's at, uh, C Kosek, K O S E K. And, um, I brought him in to design the back matter pages because I didn't want it to look like, you know, print screens of a Word document. I wanted it right. to sort of look pretty, and he's done this phenomenal job of making it sort of look like a magazine. Um, he's got sort of like the, these images sort of almost like watermarked in the background and things like that. It's um, it's a work of art, what he's done back there. He's a really good designer. Um, he designed uh, the whole Fatherhood comic for me. And there's a big reason why it was so eye-catching and looked so good. And uh, uh, I'm sort of working on with him designing other things moving forward. He's uh, he's a really good guy, but he's just a top-notch designer. So um, 
if anyone else out there is looking for a designer for you, for your books and for your credit pages and your back matter, uh, I would I would hit him up and, and throw a little cash his way because I think it's worth it in the long run. I, I think it's it's nice to have a pretty package uh, in its totality. I think it's um it, I I don't like getting the back matter pages and they're just ghastly. Like uh, I think about high crimes and their back pages, and I think about pretty deadly and their back pages. They look good. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Yeah, like they they have their own sort of artistic merit as well. So yeah, that's uh, that's the whole team. It's uh it's a sort of juggernaut of a crew there, and they're all really good people to work with, which is nice. And I I don't know. I feel like we I feel like I'm doing the best work of my career so far. A short career that it is, but it's nice to put this book forward with the biggest publisher I've ever worked with. Um and sort of go, yeah, I stand by this work. It is the best that I am doing right now. I really, I really stand by this book. I think Headspace, uh, uh, is, is everybody firing on all cylinders as it should be. Well, Monkey Brain, for people that, um, you know, want to keep up with announcements and stuff, their Twitter is monkeybrain underscore INC. Yes. And of course at mon- monkeybraincomics.com. And you are very easy at, yeah, uh, Ryan K. Lindsay. That's right. Don't forget the K, guys. So. Yeah, because there are a lot of Ryan Lindsay's, I gotta say. Yeah, there are a lot of Ryan Lindsay's. And they're, they're usually just like, uh, American University, like lacrosse players for some reason. Yeah, it is. Like there might have been there might have been a dude bro lifting up his shirt when I was looking. <laughs> that was not me. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that's him. <laughs> oh, there's a K. That's right, I forgot. That should be that should be my uh my artist biopic. I should do a little ab lift. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Destroy some uh retinas while I'm out there. That'd be just great. Yeah, no one would, no one would pick up any future issues for fear of hitting that last page and seeing the uh the ab lift. There needs to be more ab lifts in comic creators. I want to see that. <laughs> that should be a thing. You should do that one day. Uh, nice. I'll work on it. <laughs> and you guys, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. And of course, everything else is at AmberUnmasked.com. Oh, my goodness. Ryan, it's always such a pleasure. So I will definitely, you know, of course, have you back when everything else is ready to, to come down. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be always, uh, we got into some good tangents today, so I would... Uh, I'd love to see where we go next. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, guys. Uh, Vodka Tears, thank you for listening. And don't forget to follow all those amazing creators. 